Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talked to Paul Joyce, the founder and CEO of Gecko Board, a SaaS product that lets businesses build and display real-time dashboards to help them focus on the metrics that matter. Paul was working at a bank in England. He hated his job and longed to start his own business. But this isn't one of those stories where someone comes up with a great idea, quits their job the next day and becomes an overnight success. Paul spent four years looking for the right idea. He tried and failed about a dozen times. But his burning desire to work for himself kept him going. And with each failure, he learned something. Eventually, in 2010, he came up with the idea for Gecko Board. He started building his MVP and also posted on Hacker News, which helped him build a waiting list of several hundred people. He launched his MVP a few months later, but didn't get any paying customers. But he could sense from how enthusiastic people were that there was something different about this idea. So he decided that it was time for him to go big or go home. After talking to his wife, he used their savings to give himself a five-month runway and quit his job to work on Gecko Board full-time. It was a huge leap of faith, but Paul's never looked back. Today, Gecko Board does well over $5 million in annual recurring revenue. The company has around 4,500 customers and a team of 40 people. In this interview, we talk about Paul's multiple failed attempts to start a SaaS company. We dig into why the idea for Gecko Board was different from the dozens of ideas he'd had before. And we go into detail on how he found customers and eventually built a multi-million dollar SaaS business. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Anwar. Good to speak to you. So do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you or gets you out of bed in the morning to work on your business? 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's a, it's a quote. It's more a passage uh, from Teddy Roosevelt, his citizenship in a republic talk. Uh, it's something I return to, particularly when, as is often the case on this journey, you know, you feel low or you feel like, you know, there's plenty of critics pointing the finger. And uh, it's a great way just to recenter myself. So, yeah, The Man in the Arena, Citizenship in a Republic by Teddy Roosevelt. We'll just put a link to that so people can, <laughs> we don't have to go through the whole thing right now. Yeah. Quite a long passage, but it's, 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 it's one of those ones that kind of really uplifts me, particularly when I'm feeling like attacked on all sides or feeling, uh, feeling uh, in my bunker. It helps me to come out and, and real, put things into perspective. Yeah, love it. Great. So for people who aren't familiar with Gecko Board, can you just quickly tell us what does the product do, who is it for, and what's the big problem that you're helping to solve? Sure. So uh, GeckoBoard is a, a tool for small to medium-sized companies who tend to be growing quite fast. And it's a, it's a tool that they use to help them communicate data within their organization. So 20 to 250 employees, their data is likely distributed in a bunch of different tools. They've got spreadsheets, got databases, and they don't, they're not facing the sort of problems that BI or uh, machine learning can help with, or even data science particularly. This is just basic business fundamentals. You know, how fast am I growing? Uh, how many tickets am I getting? Uh, what's my CSAT rating or NPS score? Something that they want to keep in touch with all the time. So it solves two problems. First of all, it allows you to connect to a whole bunch of different tools that might be, you know, that your, where your data is spread across different areas. And second of all, it visualizes it and puts it in a way that you can read it at a glance. So no more digging it out and presenting it back. Great. And give us a sense of the size of the business today in terms of revenue, customers, and the size of the team. In terms of revenue, we are at about, well, we're between uh, 5 million and 10 million US in terms of annual recurring revenue. We are maybe closer to the 5 million on that, if I'm being absolutely honest. We are about 40 people. We're based primarily in London, but we have a team spread across the world to help with uh, customer support. In terms of customers, we have about 4,500 paying customers. And yeah, at any, any given point in time, we may have uh, you know a couple of thousand people in trial as well. Great. Now, the business launched in 2010. And I, I want to talk about how you sort of basically went from zero to, to build this business into a multi-million dollar business with thousands of customers. And we're going to dig into that. But before we do that, I think it's really important for our audience to know like where this all started. And it it's probably taken you four or five years before you got to the point where you had the right idea to to start on this business and you had multiple ap- attempts at, at kind of coming up with ideas and, and launching those businesses. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, t- tell us about that journey and, um, you know, what were some of those ideas that you you sort of tried and failed with for, for sort of those three or four years? Yeah. So I think the journey probably starts about 2006. At the time, I was working at an investment bank and very much felt that, you know, I was working in a technical capacity, so designing and building data warehouses. Very much felt that whilst there are certain parts of the job that I really enjoyed, it wasn't somewhere I wanted to be until I was 65. And and I think I like creating stuff. I like making products, whether that's physical or digital product. So I, I always had a side hustle, but uh, I decided really I wanted to try and turn that into a business that would be able to sustain me and my family and, and grow, potentially scale to, to a large size. So yeah, it started about two, 2006. And I, I, I'm fond of saying that all of the ideas that I had, and I had about a dozen different ideas that I actually worked on, mainly sequentially from then, but all of them had two things in common. The first was that they were designed to try and help people make better decisions with the data that they already have, all right, so or with data that they can access. So make better decisions with data was the first thing. And the second thing was that none of them had any traction whatsoever. <laughs> that was a real lesson for me. It was like, you could have the, the greatest idea, but as it's, it's complete truism, but build it and they will come is not a go-to-market strategy. And actually understanding what resonates with people and then how to build that, I think, were, were two things that, uh, that I, I struggled with in the early days. So g- give me an example of one of those ideas and 
you know, how far did you actually take the idea to try and figure out if it had any legs or not? Sure, yeah. So one of the ideas was a, a site. Remember, this was back in 2006, so things were quite different then. You know, Yelp was still, I, I don't know if it was around yet, but it was, it was still pretty young if it was. But the idea was, it was called The Buzz dot at the buzz at uh, the idea was that people would check into to locations uh, and in real time you would be able to see which bars and you know, pubs and and restaurants were popular at that moment in time and the thought behind this was okay we can use this data to help people decide what they're going to do of a night out right we can we can tell them go here right now this place is buzzing or this place is dead if you want a quiet pint and so i actually went quite far with that so i engaged some designers and we went through qu- quite a few iterations now i my uh, whilst i have a technical background my background is in uh, manipulating data and designing data structures and data flows things i'm very very comfortable with designing and building web apps is something i'm le- i was less comfortable with um and so whilst learning to do that i also um went through process of outsourcing a lot of the development and i think this is this was a, a a very keen early learning for me i think and whilst I continued to do that to a certain point. I think there was a, a huge amount that I went into it completely blind and with a lot of faith in what people were telling me and, and not really knowing how to check that. You know, when, when, when I asked various contractors to, to help build this thing, I, I'm not sure I was using the right language. We certainly didn't have the right kind of project management, not to mind product management side of things. So oftentimes things would take a very long time. Uh, and of course, I was all, all of this was self-financed. So from our family savings so i think during the the process of building the buzz at um was uh, I, I learned a lot about how to to manage uh, de- developers particularly those who are not co-located they're remote in different time zone uh, and uh, and know what i could expect and what i couldn't expect from a process i think the lessons i learned from that directly i, I directly applied several years later when i was when i was building gecko board and i needed some external help to get it uh, to get that first iteration off the ground. So there's a lot of people who would either say, I, you know, I don't have a great idea and I, you know, I want to start a SaaS business, but I just don't have a great idea. And there are other people who maybe think that they've come up with the right idea. They maybe go through the process that you just described, which is I'm going to fund this myself. I'm going to hire some developers or, you know, maybe I can code myself. I'm going to spend time and, and, and money building it and getting it out there. And then the thing fails. It falls flat on its face. And maybe after that first attempt, maybe after a few attempts, most people would probably say, okay, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm not cut out to do this. Most people wouldn't try a dozen times and fail over and over again. So what was it for you that kept you going? I, I think it was risk and it was the risk actually of of staying in the bank until i was 65 that represented a huge risk to me um i could feel it chewing away at my at the very fiber of my being of my soul and i'm i'm, I'm saying it from my perspective okay other people uh, i i think are able to navigate those internal corporate structures a lot better than i did but it, it wasn't something that that i was relishing and i felt very much that if i stayed there that I would have to come to terms with that and I would have to uh, accept it. And I felt like if I did that, then I would end up in a life position that I really didn't want to be. And that is with the golden handcuffs of a large financial institution around my wrists uh, and and not being able to to pursue the sort of things that I can because I simply have I've been I bought into a lifestyle into a, into a into a corporate culture that I really didn't want to do. So I think what was driving me was well how do I get out of my current predicament because I don't want to be in this in you know for the next 5 years let alone for the next 40. So I, I think that was the primary driver was 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 this need to find something that was a little bit more fulfilling for my uh, you know for my personality type or for my soul whichever whichever way you want to kind of uh, whichever way you view the world. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's a difference between saying I've got an idea and and I'm going to give it a try. And if not, uh, I, you know, I'll go back to what I'm doing, which is kind of like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll dabble a bit mm. versus I, I really am not fulfilled with what I'm doing. And this is the path I want to take. And I don't care how many times I fail. 
but I'm going to keep trying until I find a way. And it kind of sounds a little bit like, you know, self-motivational talk, but I think it's the mindset and that's really important. It is, and it's how you approach it. And and uh, and I genuinely didn't see, well, uh, despite the fact that they were catastrophic failures, like all of these ideas were, like uh, none of them had any real science. I mean, I learned a lot. Um, I, I genuinely didn't see them as, as failures, but as lessons that got me one step closer, that got me a, a, a little bit further understanding of how this process could or should work, or that they, where, I, where my blind spots were, where I needed extra help, and where I could trust myself. Uh, each of those were, 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 they were steps. Now, they weren't designed to be steps. Each of them were designed to be fully formed ideas that would come to fruition and, and, and help bail me out of my current situation. But when it came time to turn my back on those ideas and, and, and to, to, to leave them and to say, okay, that wasn't, I didn't execute that properly. It wasn't a good fit or there's no demand for this. Each, each of those times, it wasn't, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't leave with a sense of abject failure. It was more like, okay, how can I, understand what happened here and then apply those lessons that will give me an advantage next time um that it's going to be an elephant trap that i won't fall into um and and i think that was that was really the focus so eventually over these this sort of this four-year journey you finally came up with the idea for what became gecko board what was different about this idea or what was different about the way you approached this particular idea that made the difference for you? One of the, the primary differences was uh, was just a, a penny dropped with me. I think all of the previous ideas that I've been pursuing and been working on were all fairly consumer-focused. So that was one thing. They're all pretty consumer-focused because I, as a consumer, was looking for the needs in my life and whatnot. But one of the lessons that came out of the previous startups was actually when, uh, or, or I say startups, they were just ideas or, or, or technical proofs or whatever else, was then I, when I did release stuff and I wanted to measure how things were going, I found it very difficult. And, and I, I found myself in the position that I believe many of our customers today find themselves in. And that was that they have data distributed in a bunch of different places. They don't need to do the full analysis piece on that. I mean, that can happen, but they don't, that's not what they need on a daily basis. What they need is to check in and see how they're doing. You know, whether that is uh, how many, maybe Omar, you're looking at, at how many people are coming to your website or are converting into, uh, into, into one of your uh, paid subscriptions or, or something like this. Uh, and, and for me, it was, it was very much a case of this is the need that I have. And I could see that I would spend money on this. I would, I would see that if somebody solved this very well, that I would spend money on. So it was the shift from consumer to business, but with the through the lens of when I tried my own businesses in the past, and and this was something that I felt that well, if I'm facing this, and I'm this is a pretty low level, if I'm facing this, there's got to be you know thousands of other businesses, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of other businesses that feel some element of this, and that felt like a big opportunity to explore. Okay, great. So you've got this idea it feels like different to what you've worked on before what did you do with it and did you go out and start to you know talk to customers to to try and validate the idea did you get straight into building a product yeah i think and bearing in mind that this was 2010, so 10 years ago now, I hadn't hadn't read kind of uh, Lean Startup or any of those kind of things. So I was I was shooting from the hip to a certain extent, and I think that's probably a lesson that, that that well I've certainly learned since then. So I didn't do any kind of customer development at that moment in time. It was mainly around product development, um, and so I went straight in from idea to the next day speaking to designers to then looking for a couple of people, you know, contractors who can help me build this and starting to build it pretty much straight away. So it was probably, well, it definitely isn't best practice. Uh, and I think we could have we could have learned a lot more, a lot sooner had we had gone out in a more staged approach, if I'd really kind of honed in on specific needs. 
uh, although I had my own kind of like template of what that looked like, actually hearing from real people is clearly going to get you a lot further because they're the people who are going to be paying for your product. So no, didn't do any customer development at that moment in time, but I sure wish I had. Uh, and I think we would have gotten off to an even better start, I think, had we have done that. And, and how long did you spend building the product? So I had the idea in March of 2010, and we had a very early version out ready for feedback, but not for payment in July of the same year. So uh, three or four months. Okay. And did you do any marketing during that time, like in the four months that you were building the product? Were you just heads down on that? Or were you already thinking about things that you needed to do to get ready for for launch and, and to start finding customers? Well, I was definitely head down in, in product, but uh, I was also working at my day job at the time. So uh, I was. Uh, oh yes, <laughs> so getting up, uh, getting up at uh, at six in the morning, commuting up to town, uh, up to London. Sorry, working my job there, coming back in the evening, spending time with my family, then working on this idea and going to bed at about two o'clock. Uh, so it was it was getting it was it was pretty intense at that time. But we did uh, the only. Th- thing we did in terms of before getting the the product ready for some feedback, uh, which is what I was really focusing on. I felt like that was going to be the area if we could show somebody something that we could maybe be able to solicit whether it's useful or not. The only thing I did was put up a splash splash page that collected email addresses of people who were interested and then sent out a few tweets. So that's pretty much all I did in that three to four months. But in July, I felt like the, the product was ready to at least be open to to, to criticism. So I, I, I slapped it up on um, Hacker News, the uh, the forum set up by Y Combinator. I put it up on Hacker News where I put a whole bunch of slew of different ideas before up, but uh, to, in order to be able to solicit feedback from some people. Uh, and that was, that was um, I think we signed up about 850 people that day and feedback came in. Now, not many of them stuck around and became customers. A lot of people were just coming in, kicking the tires and and and. and some of them didn't give any feedback. Most didn't give any feedback. But it really opened the doors in terms of we did get quite a bit of feedback, not just on the forum itself, but um, the people uh, writing to me separately. And that really was the first time I was exposed to a lot of people at one time. And that's when the customers beginning to shape the product started happening in earnest. What kind of feedback were you getting at that point? Did this sound like you know, feedback coming from customers or was this from like, you know, other developers coming in and and sort of telling you what they thought about it, but they weren't necessarily the people who were going to buy the product? I would say the majority were in the in the, in the latter camp. These were other developers who were giving me their two pence worth or a piece of their mind in some cases. Uh, uh, in fact, one of the, one of those developers who uh, who had some criticism for us ended up working coming and working for us two years later and stayed with us for for a number of years. But there were also potential customers, and in fact, some of that cohort are still customers today, um, ten years on. But I would say the majority fell into the kind of developer. So weeding through that feedback i think was was quite difficult and i think characteristic of a lot of the mistakes i made in the first year or so you know even post that were these kind of as you rightly called out you you have a a different different groups of people with different emphasis with different lenses through which they're viewing this product and so kind of categorizing them and or at least trying to filter through them and understand who's saying what and which to wait and how was very difficult and something that I wasn't very good at initially. So you weren't charging at that point, right? So in, in July, the product gets out there, you get people, you said about 800 signups, mm-hmm. but there wasn't any way, any way for people to stop paying you at that time, right? No, uh, and in fact, you know, this was this was in the days before Stripe, and we were com- completely self-funded at that time. So, so that was in July. In August, I handed in my notice at at, at my day job, and I and I finished there in September. Wow! So, yeah, by which stage we were kind of ripping through quite a lot of uh, of, of uh, myself and my wife's kind of savings that we'd kind of put aside over a while. And so... Okay, hold on, hold on a second there. Hold on a second, right? So I want to get this straight. So you spent four years testing about a dozen ideas, which all failed. Yeah. And then you came up with this idea for Gecko Board. 
Mm-hmm. You spent four months building the product, had, you know, 800 odd signups, mm-hmm. zero paying customers. Mm-hmm. Yet a couple of months later, you felt confident enough to quit your job and work on this full time. Like, why? Why? Yes. What was going on? Well, I, the first thing was that the difference between between Gekkoboard and anything that came previously is that people were reacting to it. Some of them positively, some of them negatively, but it was soliciting some sort of or eliciting some sort of a, a reaction from people. It felt like there was there was something going on there. As I mentioned, I was working my day job at the time as well, and I felt like it got to the point. I mean, I, I'm not one of these people who can boast that they can get get by in four hours sleep a night and still be like a, a functioning kind of uh, well-adjusted human. I'm definitely not. I need a, a, the full complement of sleep. The, the more, the better. It, it got to a squeeze point where it was it it became obvious to uh, to my wife and I that we had to make a decision one way or another. We had to either say that okay, we need to park this and go back to life as normal and you know get some rest <laughs> uh, or we cut out the day job and we give this a good shot and see and see where we go with it and it, it wasn't a decision we made flippantly or kind of very casually i genuinely felt that these opportunities don't come along, uh, along very often as i'd known from experience uh, these opportunities don't come along very often so we decided together that, that that we would we'd give it a shot and see where it took us. Uh, we had a few months worth of runway at that mo- moment in time, maybe four, <laughs> um, but uh, actually no, it was more like five. And we thought we'd, we'd we'd see where we can get it, get some paid plans out the door if we could, uh, and begin to kind of extend that runway a little bit if possible. So even though you didn't have paying customers at the time, it sounds like the level of engagement or enthusiasm that you were seeing from people who were using the product was enough to help you take that leap of faith. Exactly that. Um, So I'd seen what kind of no traction looks like Uh, and i had had a pretty good pattern for that and (laughs) this wasn't this wasn't fitting that Uh, and it felt like as good as opportunity as any to just go in there and to boot it was all I was thinking about. I was completely obsessed with it. I loved it. I thought it was a, uh, you know, uh, you know, all of those dreams that you invest in these ideas can be. They were beginning to materialize, and it felt like, it felt like we had a tailwind. And I'm not sure what other signs I could have had at that moment in time. Uh, there was no way I could have kept going at at uh, working at the bank and doing this. It was it was placing too much demand on my time and mental energy. So uh, if I wanted to give this a good shot, I had to do it. But yeah, despite we didn't roll out paid plans until the following February. So um, uh, it was was quite a long time before we actually started charging for the product after that. But despite that, I felt like this is as good a chance as any. So how how did you keep going? I mean, it sounds like you said you had about like five months of runway. Mm. I'm pretty sure you run out by the time you get to February, right? Yep, we we would have without a shadow of a doubt. And to exacerbate issues, uh, I mean, I, I I I as soon as I handed in my notice, I started looking at that moment in time for how you could start charging for this product, how how payment would work, and all of this kind of stuff. I wasn't familiar with. I mean, all of my previous offerings have been kind of consumer based stuff, and so it had different, very different business models. I I wasn't familiar with how one could start collecting like SaaS payments online. And remember, this was 2010. There wasn't a lot of the infrastructure that there is today. Stripe certainly wasn't around. Uh, I applied for uh, every business bank in the in the UK, or at least a half a dozen of them, turned me down for a merchant account because the business model wasn't something that they'd encountered before. Uh, SaaS, that is, you know, delivering software over the internet. It was the questions I was getting is, when are you going to post the CD-ROMs out to them? And and how do you charge renewal fees on an annual basis or whatever? Account managers there didn't understand how this worked. So uh, we couldn't get a merchant account. And then um, I went to apply for a kind of a PayPal account to try and collect money. But that was fraught with difficulties as well and, and ended up... Uh, ended up not getting not getting that and eventually i mean a, i can i can tell you the tale if you'd like to hear it it's quite it's, it's quite a fun yeah. one i was like i said just desperate to try and find some mechanism collecting money applied to paypal they rejected me and they didn't give me a reason for the rejection so i asked them okay well you know 
why why was I rejected? Why can't I you know, take take credit card payments via website payments pro or whatever the, pro, the, the product was? And they said, we can't tell you that, but you can apply again in 90 days, which of course is useless because unless I know why it's been declined in the first place, applying again with the, with the same criteria is not going to do it. So at this point, we were pretty much out of options and, and fairly exasperated and really didn't have like, the, you know, uh, there wasn't a great network in the UK at the time, other startups facing similar problems. And by an uncanny coincidence, one of these things that that happens, I think, when uh, when you try and, and increase your luck surface area by, by like, making stuff and telling people about it. Uh, my wife was actually at the kindergarten and nursery school gates uh, one day and spoke to one of the other mums saying like, oh, yeah, this is what's happening. And it's, you're finding it really stressful. And uh, some uncanny coincidence uh, her sister-in-law worked at a fairly senior level at paypal in in emia and said look maybe i can put in a word and the following day i spoke to her sister-in-law and she said she'd look into it and the day after that we got approved and and, and i found out the reason for the original rejection which is i converted my personal paypal account into a business paypal account and two years prior to that, I'd sold a PS3 on eBay. The person who bought it off me had a change of heart. And instead of kind of telling me, uh, issued a chargeback, which, of course, PayPal registered as a chargeback against uh, my account, which carried over onto the business account. And they looked at the chargeback ratio to spend ratio, which, of course, was only on a, on a, on a private individual's account at that moment in time, and said that uh, we weren't a creditworthy business. So uh, so thankfully, that all got cleared up and uh, we were able to start using PayPal to start taking payments. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupos has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with bupos.com. But yeah, it's amazing how, how things have changed in the last 10 years, 20 years, even 10 years. Yeah, yeah like... You know, it kind of feels like these days, it feels like Stripe has been around forever. Mm. But back in 2010, I think the Collison brothers were like just getting ready to launch Stripe, probably around the same time that you were launching Gecko Board. Yeah, and I don't think it came to the UK for another couple of years after that. So I think they launched it in in, in the US, but, uh, but yeah, you needed to you needed to be over there in order to use it. So yeah, it it feels like such a vital part of infrastructure, particularly for spinning up a business quite quickly. But uh, that, that that I'm so glad it exists today. And I think it's funny that you share that story about your wife meeting somebody working at PayPal and and sort of this serendipity. Actually, remind me of a different story. One of the people that I had on the show previously was a guy called Stuart Crane, who is actually a member of our SaaS Club Plus community. So, you know, he was always kind of chatting and, and you know, sort of staying in touch. But I, his story was like that the business that he launched, if I remember this correctly, was it started because he went out one day and started talking to the guy over the fence, one of his neighbors at the back of his house just to you know make some small talk and that led to them working together to launch a startup which they ended up selling for over 40 million dollars you know many years later you know and it's kind of like funny it's just you know if, if he hadn't gone out that day to say hello to the neighbor like what you know what would have happened i don't know so i think it's just it's just really interesting these things happen and and i think it's a it's a great reminder that you know we should always be i guess just on the lookout for opportunities. And it's not just about like, how can I kind of find people that kind of can help me achieve stuff, but it's just more a, a way of, again, it goes back to mindset in terms of, I think, just thinking about opportunities and, you know, where you can potentially help people, where somebody may be able to help you. If you open your eyes and, and just kind of, I don't know, it's, it's I, I hear that too much 
Yeah, I, I agree. Open your eyes and open your heart. I mean, it's a, it's a, you don't know where any conversation is going to lead you. And it could be just that it's interesting or it could be that it's entertaining or it could be that somebody can connect some dots for you or you can do the same for them. And, uh, and, and that's what's really interesting. And I, I talk about luck and needing to be lucky and whatever else. And, and that's true. I mean, there's how many, how many people have great ideas, maybe not at the right time or maybe not executed quite right, or maybe just didn't get it out there or, or, or something that, that they didn't, that stopped them. Like luck plays a huge role in business. Luck plays a huge role in, particularly in the early stages of a business and getting it out there and word of mouth and, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But you can do things that help with that. You can, you know, you can make stuff. You can then talk about that stuff. You can extend a, a hand to people who, who ostensibly are asking, just asking you for help, but you never know when those tables are going to turn and or, or when somebody can connect some of those dots. So I think it's a good thing to do anyway, but it can also be an incredibly helpful thing to do. And, and it helps with that look. It helps with that s- s- initial look that that all of us need. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So February, you finally get over this stuff. You figured out how to charge customers and and start accepting money for the product. What did you do to to find those first few customers? So we were pretty fortunate in that during the beta period, we built up a wait list of people who uh, who wanted to try out the product. And by the time we got into February, we had about 9,000 people on that list uh, who were wanting to try it out. Not, not all of them would be willing to pay for this, not kind of, not, well, not even most of them would be. But we, we had an initial tranche of people that we could go out with to be able to uh, at least uh, put the input energy in to start collecting some revenue. So I think it was on February the 3rd, uh, it's my mother's birthday of, uh, of, uh, of 2011, eight o'clock in the morning, the post went up on TechCrunch and I was elated and delighted and, and, and couldn't believe it. We sent out all the communications to, the, to our customers. We told them about the pricing, told them when we, that would kick in, all of that kind of stuff. So I was on top of the world. And then about half an hour later, the first feedback started coming in as a response to our pricing decisions. And it came as an avalanche actually from there. So much so that I was getting so much negative feedback about, about the pricing that we'd rolled out at that moment in time. Um, that I, I, by the end of the day had told, put something up in our blog and emailed all of the people who had, had gotten in contact with us to tell them that, look, your voice is heard. We will be changing pricing. Let me just have a couple of days to kind of sort out something better. But we were getting, I don't know, people were starting up kind of uh, forum posts about how to build a, an open source alternative to Geckoboard, how we had kicked them, uh, kicked them, uh, you know, brought them in, like switch and bait, thought there was going to be reasonable, and then it was too expensive and uh, all of this kind of stuff. My, my stomach, my, uh, you know, I, I generally viscerally felt kind of upset, physically upset about this whole thing. So people weren't objecting to paying. No. They, they were okay with that. It was just like how much you were asking. Yeah, uh, and how we modeled it. Okay, so uh, so I'll go into a tiny bit of detail, but not dwell on it. But ultimately, the product is mainly, well, or certainly was, mainly consumed uh, on large screen TVs in people's offices. So in other words, they would connect up all their data and then they would the dashboard would be displayed and it would be live updating on the TV screen in their office. I tried all sorts of different ways of like, how do we price this? I'd spoken to some incredibly generous hearted people from the SaaS industry as it was at the time who were able to kind of dedicate a bit of time to chatting to me over Skype about how to go about it. But actually finding a mechanism for or, or, or a value axis for charging for this product was really, really difficult for us. And so I ended up doing something that would, I think probably most people would have considered some sort of DRM uh, and, you know, digital rights management, which was not in favor at the time. Uh, and so we would say, okay, you are allowed to show this on one screen for this much per month. And if you go put it on a different screen, that's you know, double the cost. And on a third screen, it's triple the cost. And and people really didn't like it. It, 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 it didn't sit well with them. So we had all sorts of feedback. And then, uh, you know, people saying, it doesn't work. How about you try this? How about you try that? And 
and I actually went out and kind of tried to formally collect as many of those responses as possible and and ended up I think probably overcorrecting over I kind of ended up kind of uh, coming up with a pricing model that was rather too generous uh, and we've since kind of since that second pricing model that came out a week later uh, I you know I think we've we've at least 10x our kind of average revenue per account uh, since then or our, our, our average sales price certainly since then so uh, i think we went in a little bit too low and then we built it up back up over the years okay great so you've got the product out there now you've got some paying customers let's talk about how you've grown the business so it's one thing to get a product out there and and find you know a handful of customers it's another thing to turn it into, you know, a multi-million dollar SaaS company. So what have been the the main marketing strategies or channels that, that have worked for you? Yeah, I think certainly in the early days and up to today, actually, it, it's still probably our biggest contributor to growth that we have, but education. So we have to remember that a lot of the businesses that use the product are not, they don't have a data science team. They don't have a complicated BI stack. You know, what actually what they want to do is they want to build their business. They've got some expertise in some area and they want to build that. And that isn't necessarily around like pulling data in from a bunch of different places and doing complex analysis. So a lot of people, I think, start businesses, and this is a blind spot for them. How do you actually stay on top of the numbers that matter? What are the systems and the processes that you can use and all of that? Uh, and and we felt like if we can get people successful with that, then the case for Gekabor becomes more clear. So we spent a lot of time on education. Uh, I remember one particular event, which I, I, which, which I think was just this great confluence of cheap effective and high impact right it's it's uh, it was the authors of the book lean analytics the book had just come out and they were busily promoting it uh, we decided well we put on a, a an event in in london's barbican center and we would charge people just enough to kind of to cover our overheads to come to this event where we would uh, where we'd fly over the the authors of lean analytics and they would give a course you know a one-day course on how to choose metrics good metrics metrics and bad metrics, metrics for SaaS, metrics for marketplace, metrics for kind of all sorts of different things. Uh, and there'll be a Q&A session. And so we, we managed to get a, a few hundred people in there. We got Alistair and Ben across, the authors of this book. We had books to give away. We put this on. It obviously raised the profile of Gecko Board. And then we filmed it as well. And then we put it up on, on Udemy as a free course that anyone could access. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it, it at least 10,000 people completed the course. So with very little outlay from us, we were able to jump on a trend, get a lot of exposure, then have a, a, a digital course that was ready to go out that was incredibly useful, right? There was, it was all killer, no filler, because these guys wanted to pack as much into a day as, possibly, as they possibly could. They won because they got more exposure for their books. We won because we got more exposure for our, our product. And, uh, and ultimately, the people who viewed the course, either in person or online, won because they were able to amass a huge amount of information very, very quickly. So stuff like that, I think, education, uh, education and, and, and leading people, like allowing them to take their first steps on the road to becoming more data literate or, or communicating their data, something that can, can be very intimidating for people who are not highly numerate or this isn't their background whatsoever. Well, if we can be sympathetic to that and we can hold their hand, we can give them not only point them in the direction of, of great learning material but then also give them inspiration show them what their peers are doing uh show them like examples uh you know talk about the different ways of setting goals and and, and monitoring metrics allow them to learn as much as possible then i think the case then becomes a lot easier to be able to say okay well well Gekabor can help with some of that as well uh, and not in all cases but it, it uh, i think it, that's been a very successful strategy for us education so it sounds like Gecko Board or, or a dashboard was almost like a secondary thing when you were talking to these, these potential customers. You were focusing more on educating them about metrics and what metrics and why and, and you know, how to think about this to, to run whatever business they had rather than um, sort of leading with you need a dashboard 
this is what you should have on the dashboard. This is how we can do that. But through that education, once you got them to a point where they were, you know, comfortable with the idea of metrics and how to use them, it sort of naturally led into the conversation on here are different ways, I guess, that you can use this product. Is that right? Like how you approach it? hundred percent. And, 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 and what's more, I think, you know, th- those people, we, we're not doing the hard sell and those people will have, uh, will, they'll have very positive brand associations with Gekkeboard at this point in time. They've helped them. They've educated them. They under, they're empathetic with the fact that like not everyone is, not everyone is, uh, you know, is a spreadsheet jockey. And actually it's not just metrics and good metrics, bad metrics, but goal setting frameworks, you know, everything from OKRs and V2 moms and all of this. It's, 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 it's hugely and impenetrably complex for, for a lot of people. A lot of the things that we, we, the acronyms and the the ways of viewing the world that, that that we in the kind of quote unquote kind of startup world like take for granted are actually quite a difficult concept for a lot of growing businesses and with some gentle nudging they can become a lot more confident and and actually yeah we, we've seen a lot of those people who've come to us from education actually become evangelists for us as well so how long did it take you to get to you know doing a million dollars a year? Uh, let's have a think. Um, that probably would have taken about, that was realistically about like maybe four or five years. So around roughly around 2014, 2015. Something like that. Yeah. And so beyond this event that you ran, what, what else did you do to find customers? Yeah, so I think we've always leaned hard on education. I think the typical things like uh, B2B SEO loops, we've always like worked on that. There's there's a surprising amount of people who want to know answers to basic kind of things like what are some e-commerce metrics or what are good customer support metrics or things like that. Uh, you know, being able to collate all of that in one place, make it like nice and indexable and crawlable by Google and for people to find us that way has been a primary driver of growth for us. I think that uh, as well as you know, sometimes we put out dashboards that are fun or frivolous or are interesting in some way that allow people to interact with the product. Um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll create a, a dashboard for the Olympics or for the World Cup or something like this uh, that that uh, that spreads um, fairly virally. People can see it, and then they uh, that it's one way of them kind of getting getting interested uh, in Gecko Board. I think our our bread and butter is is talking about metrics, how to set goals, how to communicate data for people who are not in spreadsheets every day. I think that's the, the, the primary way that we grow. And, and um, you know, B2B SEO, I think, is the main driver of our business. And so you, I know one of the things that you do is you create a lot of these dashboard examples as well as a way to, to educate people. And I'm curious, like, what have you learned about I guess the, you know, what they call like the buyer's journey, you know, when you get customers, does it typically happen like that they're sort of looking at a, you know, the problem is more around metrics and and how to organize and manage that information versus people already sort of realizing, yeah, I need a dashboard or, you know, I want to put this up on the TV screen is it is it a sort of a mixture of both or i'm just i'm just trying to figure out like how how sort of mature is the market in terms of understanding that this is the solution that they need yeah well i think it's still pretty immature actually and the solution itself is evolving um uh you know at this moment in time there's a lot of businesses that are not in the offices anymore and they don't have tvs up on their walls and so uh, they have to find other mechanisms for communicating and sharing their data and we've got like a, a slack integration out and uh, uh, and you know a mobile app and all of that kind of stuff but uh, in terms of the people who are who are finding us you can a lot of a lot of people who are very far away from like wanting to implement a solution they're very at the very early stages of that journey they're inquiring as to you know what are the possible mechanisms for sharing data or i've got data in tool x how do i share that with with my team or how do i motivate my team to see this data uh, and and I tr- we're trying to we're trying very hard to try and capture them very early on in the full knowledge that that 
or at least it'd be visible to them very early on in the full knowledge that we're not going to turn them into a customer today. And if we were to turn them into a customer, it probably wouldn't be very successful on account of the fact they're still very early on that journey. And there are various mechanisms for disseminating data within an organization. We think ours is particularly helpful if you've got data spread across a lot of uh, different SaaS tools uh, and you, you know you want to be able to communicate stuff at a glance to a non-numerous audience. In other words, if you want to re-democratize the access to that data, we think that Gekkeboard is a good solution for you. But that's not everyone and, and people approach it in, in a whole slew of different ways. So we have to be quite mindful, I think, that, again, we're not, it's not with the hard sell. It's trying to genuinely provide useful information. But still, we get a lot of people signing up. And, and I, I go on customer calls with, with trialists. And, and one of the most common questions I hear is, well, what do other folks like me have on their dashboard? You know, what do other e-commerce companies have? And as you mentioned, we've got dashboard examples and KPI examples that we've collated from like, real-world use cases, other customers that have sh- shared it with us, customers that we've spoken to but like didn't want to share you know, their own dashboards and whatnot. Um, and we brought them all into one place. But aside from that, I still think there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done in order to open up the fact that a lot of people struggle with data, open up the fact that a lot of people don't know what are the right ways of measuring certain things. And I think even now in in fairly sophisticated, well, in in industries that one would imagine is is sophisticated in their use of metrics or their treatment of, of KPIs and data and whatnot, there's still quite a lot of ambiguity and confusion. You know, in our own industry, you know, exactly how do you work out CAC? How do you work out LTV? Well, I know that there's at least half a dozen different ways of doing both of those things. To, to come at that from the, from the perception of somebody who's never even heard of those acronyms before, let alone knows how to work them out. And then they go searching online and they see a, you know, a dozen different ways of doing it. It's just piling confusion on top of confusion. And what we hope is that if we can bring a little bit of clarity to that and we can meet people where they are uh, and uh, and empathize a little bit with the fact that this is a, a, a difficult thing to get to grips with in, initially. And if the time is right and Gekkeboard is the right solution for them, that they're going to choose us. Yeah, I mean, that's a definitely a, kind of more of a long-term view of, of customer acquisition. And, and I know that you had tried paid advertising, which didn't work as effectively and maybe it's this is the reason that people need to kind of go through that education process you know before they're ready to buy yeah i think there's a lot of people who when they think of a solution they believe that it's 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 a heavyweight bi stack that they're after so that's what they're searching for so we have to get them earlier in the journey but that lower intent at that moment of time when they're in the, when they're at the discovery phase means that they're not in position to buy so we have to be able to kind of we have to be able to take a long view on that because yeah as you said we've tried paid advertising but um, the, the volumes of people who are searching for tv dashboard are, is not huge because that's a solution that people who have who, who have gone through a journey and come I mean, this is you know it, it isn't the most common thing out there people don't know that this solution exists a lot of the time so yeah paid advertising is something that we do a little bit of but uh it's 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 never going to be like a scalable growth channel for us uh not until not until the market matures at least a little bit or we find some other way of presenting it that uh, that allows us to capture more volume okay we should wrap up and move on to the lightning round before we do that just a quick question for you if you look back at the last 10 years, or if you could go back to 2010, what advice would you give yourself? What do you wish you had done differently? Uh, I would say be way more stringent and diligent about segmenting customer feedback. It's wonderful to get customer ideas and feedback and whatever else, but it can also be intoxicating. And I think I got a little bit drunk uh, on on all of the feedback and said, oh yeah, we should try this, we should try this and try that. Um, So uh, I think uh, being a bit more sober about how to evaluate feedback, uh, particularly about segmentation. What happened as a result? You wasted a lot of time and effort building stuff that nobody really wanted? 
uh, or that uh, only very few people wanted and uh, and we weren't able to. So uh, an example is we definitely got some interest from agencies early on who wanted to um, use it as a, as a way of communicating data to their clients. And I thought, well, this is a great use case. But actually, when we started digging into it, it, it needed a, a huge amount of custom work because their data sources were were not something we had standard uh, plugins to. They also, I mean, I can remember having a, a, a conversation with with with. I mean, one of our one of the tenants of our product is that we try and make visualizations that are uh, designed for human visual systems, right? Our visual cortex and how that works. And I can remember, uh, and we're quite strict about that. We want to make it easy to understand at a glance, not you know take a little while to in understand. And I can remember one of uh, my early conversations with an agency, and they're saying, "But our clients really like kind of gauges. Can you give me a?" Gauge with two dials on it. I was like, okay, well, how's this actually going to work? This is two dials showing effectively, like uh, on, on the same scale, all of this kind of stuff. And I felt like we were get we were dragged into rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole. That was a section of the market that had its very own specific needs uh, that we would not have been able to meet, uh, at least not at scale. Uh, and yes, we did end up building stuff, wasting time, doing all sorts of crazy one-off initiatives where there was a very real opportunity cost associated with that. Whereas if I think we'd have concentrated on the core of our business and really understanding that, you know, serving those customers that we knew were getting the most value out of this. Uh, and uh, I think we could have uh, sped up and, and avoided some of those big traps that we fell into. Yeah, that's a good lesson. Okay, so uh, let's go into the lightning round. I've got seven quick fire questions for you. Just uh, try to answer them as quickly as you can. Go for it. Ready to go? Yep. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? We talked about this earlier on, but be lucky. <laughs> what book would you, would you recommend to our audience and why? Uh, I would recommend Turn the Ship Around by David Marquet. Uh, he, it's, uh, he's a, a submarine commander who talks about uh, implementing mechanisms to create leader-leader cultures instead of leader-follower cultures. And that's been a very powerful thing for us. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? I think probably we talked about look, uh, in the absence of look, tenacity and resilience until you get lucky. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? It's a habit. I take my dogs, two dogs, for a walk in the morning before I start my day. Uh, it allows me to clear my head, focus on what's important, and really just uh, line up my day um, with, with a little bit of open space. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? I'm really interested in bridging digital and analog world. And, and I think home automation could be a very interesting area there. I've got some ideas, but um, uh, I, I think, um, yeah, I think it's a very, it's on the cusp of, of, of some uh, big breakthroughs, I feel. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Well, I once had a dinner jacket that uh, visited 10 Downing Street to see the Prime Minister here in the UK, uh, but I, was, I wasn't I was with it. In fact, uh, it was an investor who was in town who had a uh, an impromptu meeting with the Prime Minister, and I had a meeting with them that afternoon, and he said, could you bring a dinner jacket? And I said, the dinner jacket ended up uh, at, the, at the highest seat of power in the country. What a great story. Yeah. Um, do you still have it? Uh, no, in fact, uh, he, he flew out of he flew out of uh, London that same day, and I uh, took it back to uh, San Francisco with him. So um, <laughs> never gave it back. Never gave it back. <laughs> uh, and finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? I love woodwork, um, uh, particularly with hand tools. So uh, uh, it, it's it's become, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, love building actual products, whether that's physical or digital. And uh, I love the peace of mind and, and serenity that comes with hand tool woodwork, not without its frustrations and a complete amateur at the moment, but uh, it brings me a lot of joy. That's awesome. And I would just say, like, woodworking is something that uh, I've been looking at. It's something that I just think there's this... The, again, like the process of building things, which is part of the appeal. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's incredibly powerful. Uh, and it allows you to kind of get in touch with that making and, and making something with your hands. If any of your in, uh, listeners are interested, I could highly recommend Paul Sellers. He has a bunch of free videos on on, on YouTube. Um, it allows you to get started very cheaply with secondhand tools off eBay. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, that was my entry point and, 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 and I love it. Absolutely love it. 
Great. That's a good tip. Okay. So if people want to find out more about Gecko Board, they can go to geckoboard.com. Mm-hmm. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, LinkedIn would be the best mechanism or drop me, uh, drop me an email, paul at geckoboard.com. Awesome. Paul, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Elmer. Yeah, much appreciated. I really enjoyed the chat. Yeah, it was great. I wish you and uh, the team the best of success. Thank you very much indeed. Cheers. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? JotForm Tables is a solution you've been looking for. JotForm Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and JotForm Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your JotForm forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But JotForm Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.